Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Do 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 do. Do you uh, you want test names or shall this be the opener? This shall be the opener. This is the opener. I sound more excited. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember like? Well, you're young. You're younger than me by enough of a margin. But in the '90s, I remember uh, not a, a single real thing hot commodity from the '90s. It was speaking F- of flurbies, uh, electric can openers. And on occasion, like a popular thing in the 80s and 90s of movies was to like give you a little glimpse of the high life that the main characters or like the main family or whatever. <laughs> oh, they don't like an electric they'd like, can. Yeah, over. they'd like, they take, you know, look at this eight well seconds off family. Of, <laughs> eight seconds of, uh, you know, screen time on this million, many millions of dollars production to highlight the fact that they have an electronic can opener. <laughs> but, That's uh, funny. But yeah, this is our opener, our electric can opener to uh, to show time. how much we make, how much money. That's right. <laughs> Just me you, and Kent rolling we, in. We it need in a sound effect, Nick. Electric, electric can opener sound effect. <laughs> that is definitely a '90s motor sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I had to change the oil every two months yeah. on your electric can opener. Have a little pull start on the side. Every time you have green beans, you always be like a little bit then. of oil in them. You're yeah. like, dang it, <laughs> my petroleum got into my mouth again. Stop making me laugh. I'm getting over a cold, and uh, it nearly throws me into a coughing fit when you make me laugh. So. You have to be very boring during this. Okay, one, I will. I will pr- do my best Kent impersonation. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> roast it! Oh man, got him. Well, I'm going to go first. Yeah, uh, it's your turn. So this article is uh, titled. Uh, it's by EcoWatch Vertical Farming 101: Everything You Need to Know by Linnea Harris, and um, I I like how the article. St- this laid out it gives you like the quick facts before the article, which is nice. And uh, right off the bat, they draw you in with this statement. It says, and I, I mean, I should, I should verify this to be sure, but it, it sounds right. The global population is growing by 1% every year and is projected to reach 9.8 billion by 2050. So um, about 10 billion. Yeah, and we're right around eight right now. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago when we passed eight billion. Yeah, when it's kind oh, of no, weird. no, no. We I don't think we've passed eight billion. I think you're thinking of seven. Um. Oh, I thought we passed eight billion. When, I remember when I was a kid, back in the '90s, the era of electric can openers. Um, we used to take this field trip like every year because I grew up in the Quad City area, and if you know about the quad cities you know that moline is one of the quad cities and moline is the birthplace to which major agricultural implement company moline john deere so john deere started illinois yep in moline illinois i did not know it was in moline yeah in fact uh kind of an interesting thing if you're ever in moline is you can go and see i think I want to say that the John Deere house, like where John Deere lived after he made his fortune, I think that house is still standing. Um, but if it's not, 
there's like his his daughter has her mansion still standing and um there might be one other deer i think they call it the deer wyman house and then there's so his daughter's mansion is called the butterworth center and they do like a, you can like rent the place out for recitals and stuff it's a really cool place but um uh yeah that's where that's where john deere got his start was in moline and uh still a lot of that's like their their uh i guess you'd say global headquarters i believe are in in uh, uh moline still i think the the building is called the rusty palace or something like that the way it was engineered it was they like used rust as like part of the design which is kind of cool but um uh anyways what i don't understand why did it take so long to get a steel plow there were like iron plows for millennia yeah well i mean you'd have you're talking a pretty big piece of metal to heat treat that and temper it into steel you know that's that's fair that's uh you'd have to have a pretty big forge they got pretty hot and was able to stay hot long enough to heat treat that so hmm. that might that might have been a limitation but i gotta imagine stuff like that was already being done for yeah you know i also wonder if he was just like the guy who patented it you know what i mean yeah i wonder you know way back in the analogs yeah. if there was some there was neighbor farmer some. who invented it and john deere just <laughs> some guy it. already had like a 16 row plow but he just yeah. didn't know how to get it <laughs> do the paperwork yeah <laughs> never learned to read because it was in like the middle of the 1800s <laughs> just stop making me laugh i'm gonna cough <laughs> Uh, but if you're doing a 16 row plow in the middle of 1800, you already got money. So yeah, so maybe that's maybe that's what happened to our prairie. Unfortunately, the 16 row uh, oxen drawn plow <laughs> took took 47 oxen to pull that sucker. Oh my goodness, dude! But no. Uh, so, anyways, the reason I bring that up is we would go to this other building called the John Deere Pavilion, which is a pretty cool place where they have like some of the historic machinery, you know, old, really old tractors, you know, so they had an original plow in there. They had even some really modern equipment in there and it's, you know, neat to see all that. And one of the things that they would have on there was like, you know, this is a controversial phrase and I am here for the controversy people, but the whole, you know, corn feeds the world type thing, um, uh, that they had this, like global population counter this digital counter up on the wall and it was like real time uh you know based on the algorithm for predicting human population for a given second it was constantly updating the world's population and the first number on that counter when i was in grade school was a six and now hmm. why don't you why don't you google it for us real quick nick what is our current world population it's got to be i wonder if it's eight eight point one is it 8.1 i don't think so 8.05 current global population i'm gonna say 7.9 8. 8.1 8. wow so i think even when we were first recording this podcast 8.0759 i was pretty close i yeah, said you were said 8.1 and 8.05 and exactly halfway between that okay so when we first started the prairie farm podcast i don't think we were at eight yet no 
And so that shows you just like it's it's growing very rapidly. And so the point of this article was, hey, if we're going to have all these people, we could have room to, you know, provide food for all these people. We have to have acres for that. And mm-hmm. like, again, that's kind of a misconception because a lot of our production is not really truly food. You know, we've talked before how much of Iowa's corn is fuel. Yeah. And then some, yeah, but you need fuel to grow food. Okay. Yeah. We get all that, but, um, still not all of our acres are going to food production. And, and, um, there's a lot of other things other than just ethanol made from soybeans and made from corn. And so like, I don't, I don't think that, um, that's as much of a threat as may be perceived with a growing population, but it is one like it's not, it's not that it doesn't exist, but vertical farming is a way to, um, to like consolidate space and be more efficient with space. There's that new documentary, the food revolution. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I think it's called food revolution. Um, but, but anyways, the, they're, you know, with doing so they're going to use hydroponics if this becomes you know like a wide widely used thing to grow these things which you have you know it's basically all what you're saying is we know exactly what plants need to grow and thrive we're going to give them those exact quantities because when you think about Mm -hmm. it like farming is kind of a general i mean it gets more we talk about precision ag it gets more um precise i guess all the time you know think of when everybody used uh, like crop dusting for for their pesticide application, like a lot of that is going on stuff that are not the that are not weeds, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> so that to me is a very general application. Whereas then you can go all the way to those. I think you shared a video with me last year, Nick, of that laser that would hit weeds, like. Yeah, had AI that little laser. Yeah, yeah, it would just say, "Oh yeah, that's a that's a weed," and it sent like a little laser and just nuke the thing. Yep, you know that that is, um, you know, that's going to be as precise as it gets probably. But it, when you're in a lab setting, growing something, and you're just chemically essentially building these plants, you know, yeah. you can you can be more. Uh, conservative with the amount of water you're using and more conservative yeah. with the amount of nutrients that you're using to grow it and stuff. But I do think that there's that nature shows us time and again that um, just because you have the ingredients or at least you think you have all the ingredients and that's probably where there's, that little difference where you think you have all the ingredients doesn't mean you can make the exact same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not the same. Right. The, the humans, we could take the 10 best prairie specialists, make the best mix the world has ever seen for prairie, put it in the ground, and it wouldn't even hold a candle right. to uh, to. There's you different know, environmental factors that we can't fully understand and comprehend, and relationships, yeah. ecological relationships that give us the best thing. And so yeah. – I mean, I think I think vertical farming is maybe part of the, you know, helping uh, fight world hunger with a exponentially growing human population. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's 
I don't think it is the solution. I think uh, it'll come with its own trade-offs. I'm really hoping we can figure out a better biofuel because the most efficient um, energy converting thing in the world is plants. I mean, they just take photons. They take light, you know, and and can turn it into energy. Um, And I'd really like to see those get used and then not have monocultures of them, but, you know, have very diverse areas where you could go in and swath the whole thing and take the biodiversity off of it. You know, I'm imagining like bailing thousands and thousands of acres that those same acres could be hunted on. They'd be wildlife, you know, and so we're not stripping them down to the dirt, but you were going in, we're bailing them, we're taking some biofuel. Um, I think that would be really cool. That was just a little off tangent. Well, there's there's been talk of that with like, you know, grass sourced ethanol. I think it just couldn't quite keep up. You know, even with all the grants, it's kind of a kind of a lengthier process. Yeah. But there are some major, and again, we've talked about this recently. The trade offs thing. There are <clears throat> there are some like really interesting advantages to that too. You know, you're not yeah. you're not have to burn so much fuel to grow it because it's yeah. you know coming up on its own year after year. But back to the um, process of uh, of like the growing population and and figuring that out. I. Uh, we're, we're going to figure it. I, I'm not worried about it. We have efficient ways in our pocket, but there's just so much short-sightedness. Like, yeah. how can I make a, a few dollars, I mean, at most in the next five years? You yeah. know, most people are looking this fall or in the next two weeks, you know. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, you put a little ingenuity together and, and the, the need arise. I'm confident in our ability to uh, be more efficient. I've seen people, they start, um, there was a guy... I think you might have sent it to me. It was a video of this guy who grows like not quite tonnage, but like hundreds of pounds of food in his basement with like grow lights on like shelves. Uh huh. And for the most part, it's like sprouts and stuff like that that are like basically soaking up water. But he went through it and he's like, I need this many. Uh, I mean, th- this many of these plants per day. And he's like, so in here, I've got enough for 20 people for a month, you know, and I'm Wow, that's pretty, yeah, pretty cool. It wasn't a big room, you know; it was just a yeah. little basement room. So, yeah, it's yeah, that's a good example of how, you know, we don't fully understand how things should be done, and we have to sometimes knock down old paradigms and find a better yeah. way to do it. Yep, yep. Got to totally. Sometimes we got to take steps back on our current track, which looks like we're not making progress, in order to take a different path. Right, you go down the trail too far in the wrong direction. Well, then you got to backtrack to get to the right fork in the road, so we can go in a different direction. And that can look like regression sometimes, yeah. but well, you it's know not. what you're making me think of is that era that Carol was in when he started doing no-till, and we talked with Jack Benson, and he talked about how you know they had the weediest field, but then it started producing so much better than than uh, everyone else, and pretty soon that was kind of you know looking forward forward to now today every almost everybody uses no-till farming practices dude it's like you knew what my topic was so i'm looking (laughs) at two graphs and they're of the united states and they're of soil erosion by tonnage i think per county oh man and that's interesting please send that to me yep 1982 um in 1982 iowa so it goes from like 
white to light blue to green to yellow to orange to red to dark maroon to basically black. Iowa is two-thirds dark maroon or black in 1982 with just central uh, north-central Iowa being green and some yellow. So yellow is still bad. Yeah. Um, in fact, yellow is 4.1 to 4.5 tons per county. Or, I'm not and, sure. Or, and you know. No. <sighs> no. It's per acre. That's how many tons of soil per acre. How just, many? Say that. Uh, in the best parts of Iowa, I'm looking at 2.5 tons per acre. Oh and in the worst car- parts, over 13. And much of the worst, uh, much of Iowa is the worst parts. And then it's basically Iowa and northern Missouri are the worst. And then you follow the Mississippi River a little further down and then um, to like Tennessee. And there's some bad areas in Tennessee right next to the river. But you go to um, 2017 and it has reduced so much. The all the dark maroon has turned to orange. Is that all because the, there's nothing left, or because no? Oh, I think it's kidding, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's because CRP right, start, yep. and no till start yep. becoming popular. Carbon credits. Um, the all the orange turned to yellow, and and a lot of the yellow turned to green. So it just looks way better. It's still by far the worst part in the United States. And Tennessee turned her all around. They went from straight maroon to just a little yellow and green. Um, Iowa. Made a ton of progress, except northeastern Iowa and southwestern uh, Wisconsin. That is still dark maroon. Well, my guess for that though is you're you're talking about some of our hilliest. Yeah, the driftless area. That, yep. Yeah, yep. And uh, it's a little encouraging. We are making progress. Yep. We have less soil erosion than we did. We also have a lot more chemicals than back then. So our soil erosion is do, is doing more harm than it used to do. Oh yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting, but um, to look forward and be like, wow, it'd be cool if all of those orange areas turned yellow and then green and, and uh, Oh, it was Cal. Cal. No, not Cal. Um, who had the podcast about soil? Bear grease. Yes, it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, he was talking about uh, Clay Newcomb. Clay, yeah, sorry, Clay Newcomb was talking about how you you could attribute part of the fall of Rome to their poor use of soil. You remember mm. that? At yep, all? yep. And how they they basically beat soil to to heck, and then had to get their food from further out and further out because they keep they kept conquering places, destroying the agricultural land they had, and then they keep conquering places. And all of a sudden, their food was coming from thousands of miles away, and that's just not sustainable for anyone, um, especially not back then when it was all having to be dragged by horse or ox. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah. soil erosion, it's a big deal. I, and now, obviously, fall of Rome is very complicated, but it certainly doesn't help when you're having to get your food from... 10,000 yeah. miles away. Well, and you look at, you know, there are still some principles that apply because remember when we talked with Bob Wubin and he talked about how there's like no topsoil left, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little bit of a, yeah, he's got up, a real doom, like a, like a wake up call, you know, yeah. just, uh, cause you, you hear those numbers and like, Oh, at least we got a, a little bit left. Right. We should, we should hang on to that. But I spend a lot of time walking around other people's fields looking for deer antlers or going hunting or some stuff yeah. like that. And 
and uh, you can see it. I mean, boy, that dirt is very brown and not very black. You yeah, know? that's subsoil. And um, <clears throat> what do we do every year? We have to put down uh, chemical fertilizers. You know, air quotes here, soil, right? Mm-hmm. And where do we get a lot of our our uh, you know nitrogen based fertilizers? from russia and and uh ukraine and places like that how am sorry yeah <clears throat> well i mean that's where a lot of those those are are uh, made and so um in a way you know you're we're already to a point where we are having to bring in yeah. all this stuff to try and keep doing what we've been doing with growing food yeah and ethanol I, I'm trying to think of a solution right now. I don't think it's it's the correct one. But I was like, well, what if you took your five percent worst acres, put them into native habitat, whether you know that was bur oaks or prairie or wetlands or something, and then and those always stay in native habitat all the time, and then all the other acres rotated between cropland and CRP. The problem is in order for CRP to really start rebuilding stuff, you got to keep it in there for like 20 years. You know, yeah. it's really got to, it's really got to hang out in there. And then by the time you, re- let's say you do 10% at a time, you're only talking every 200 years, it gets a rest. And that's just not enough. Well, and that's the thing is like in a lot of ways, this damage, and this is kind of how Bob was talking in his interview. In a lot of ways, this damage has already been done. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like a, Oh, we need to quit doing all these things. I mean, yes, to some extent, like we need to quit farming marginal acres for sure. Yeah. But or right along streams. Right, right. Uh, there's a there's a spot nearby here that I drive by on um frequent occasion during deer season, during the rut. And I think that property Carol was telling me about it. Um changed hands recently and like every tree along the along the um creek that runs through that property was it was a it was a complete timber draw mm-hmm. like it was there was a lot of trees there they cut down every single one of them and it's just bare dirt sloping right into that that creek and so there's there's stuff like that that still goes on it's like dude i don't know how much dirt you got left but it's there it goes yeah you know and so we got to stop doing stuff like that but i think in a lot of ways the damage has already been done so we gotta you know stop farming those marginal acres absolutely we need to get as much crp down as uh we can in the places to try and start rebuilding some soil like you said but also like you said it takes decades to really make good soil hmm what about resting uh, every seven years, letting your land oh, not uh, biblical? Yeah, uh, yeah. Farming technique. Yeah, way before fields. anyone knew what was really going on, they had that commandment where the the Israelites were supposed to not farm the seventh year. They weren't supposed to the year of jubilee or something like that. No, was that that was something else. This was like on the seventh year of farming, you were supposed to let the land rest. But I have a hard time believing one year and one year off and six years on would be doable. And maybe that's just because of the way we farm. We farm so intensely and we, we reap, we pull so much out of the ground. Well, but also, I mean, how big could a field be back then? You know, you're talking a lot of 
by hand labor, some yeah. some animal help. Yeah, and you know, a lot so, of so you could say, okay, let that field rest this year, and then you walk like twenty feet over, and okay, here's the other field <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use. You know, that's just on this property where you yeah. have tons of acres that are just not even touched. That's you know? interesting. I saw this. I was watching the show one time, and and it was about like England and Europe, and it was totally fictional. Um, and Denmark and like the war and, and there were like Vikings involved and they would be mercenaries for different people. But one of the main characters was, uh, like a slave, but his master was like a really good one. And his, his point was, if you clear 10 acres of area, you can go for free. And, um, he's like, and if, if you're really fast, you could do that in 10 to 15 years. And I, I don't even think about how much work that would be today. But back then, when you're talking about like like five-foot uh, radius trees, yeah. you know, and then how do you move that stump? I don't know. Horses, you know, maybe yeah. you got to dig around it, cut all the roots, and get a horse to drag it Burn out. Burn it. Yeah. Yep. And then you got to plow it all up. And it's uh, it, it's interesting because we could, you know, you could hire someone now for $20,000. They'd clear out those, you know, 10 acres for you real quick. Yeah. And uh, I just find that fascinating how much more work agriculture used to be per acre. Right. You know, and it wasn't necessarily more energy. It's just the energy is now in machines and we're able to produce that energy outside. So it's exponential for us. Right. Well, and, and two, you know, with that, when money really started to drive the reason farmers had to produce right instead of oh we're going to grow the food that our family eats through the year and it became more of a nah, you got to do this to like get a paycheck mm-hmm. and then you go buy food from the grocery store yeah when that <clears throat> when that shift happened then that forced farmers to have to break away from that that uh you know older way of having a fallow field or you know having a four crop rotation or all these other things that were healthier for the soil. But also at that time, we, we can talk about the good old days all we want. The moldboard plow was uh, in full use. Yeah. And that's where a lot of our topsoil went in the good old days. Yeah. It, it went to the Gulf back then. Yeah. Yeah. And now only a lot of it instead of most of it goes to the Gulf. So that's. <laughs> and a lot of it is synthetic. <laughs> yep. Yep. What, let's see. I'm trying to figure out. I think it's a USDA. It's a picture of a textbook is what I'm looking at right now. And I can see on one of the pages it says Iowa State, uh, the national something, something. Um, I think it's a USDA graph. But anyway, the National Resource Inventory, U.S. Department of Agriculture. Yep. Is what it's from. So just so I can quote my sources, we got really into. Uh, yeah, this stuff. is a fun conversation. This is good. I don't even know what do you even call this agriculture? Like, yeah, I don't know. Hardly feels like agriculture anymore. But thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Yeah, thanks for being here. Oh, you got a treat for Friday, you guys. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to the next, if you haven't listened to this before Friday. Your, the next podcast is going to be real good. Yeah, really good. Yep, you're going to love it. All right, bye.